Nothing says the Republican Party quite like the unfulfilled promises, great speeches, and no action. For my entire life, almost every elected Republican at all levels of government, local, state, or federal, has failed to enact the wishes of the people who elected them. Mike Johnson, Hakeem Jeffries, and Chuck Schumer gathered this week to hold hands and unite in defense of Israel. They can't find common ground for American interests, the American people, American workers, families, or veterans, but if a foreign nation is ever in need of money or support, they will step up in unison. Let's get into it. This episode is brought to you by Palmetto State Watch, the premier watchdog organization in South Carolina. In a time where politicians are seemingly fighting for everyone but the people they represent, it has never been more important to be aware of the, all the backroom deals, special interests at play, and what your representatives are supporting. Palmetto State Watch has been holding politicians' feet to the fire across the state of South Carolina on everything from foreign bis business investments such as Scout Motors Plant in Blythewood to election integrity issues in Beaufort. If you would like to support honesty, transparency, and accountability in government, please check them out at palmettostatewatch.com or on social media and support them in any way you can. Welcome to the 14th episode of the Magnifying Glass podcast. I'm your host, Elena Moore, and I'm joined today by the American Stoic. It looks like we have been portrayed in Washington, D.C. again. Surprise, surprise, but before we get into just how the political class has screwed the American people this week, once again, don't forget to like this video, subscribe, and leave a review on which podcast platform you are listening on and share this episode. Now, originally, this episode was originally, you know, it was supposed to be about the Republican Party and how it basically just makes itself ineffective. Nikki Haley and the rest of the GOP debaters that were on stage last week basically spent two hours arguing about who loves Israel more, who's going to do more to stop big bad Russia, what can we do about China, Venezuela, North Korea, etc. Basically everything but how are they going to be the best option for the American people and the United States. Uh, eight Republicans also last week voted uh, across the aisle, they joined the Democrats, to prevent an impeachment of the Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, and this is just about as clear-cut an impeachment with the debacle that we currently have going on at the southern border as you can get. So there's really no excuse for these Republicans. They just don't want the radioactive political attention that this will get them in the media. And so they're just walking away from their, their responsibility, really, to represent uh, the people and to be accountable and to hold the administrative agencies and the administrative state accountable as well. You He's also really have, the ones that seems to be running the country, but you know. Uh, yeah, but let's not get deplatformed too quick. Let's try and get through this episode. <laughs> um, and, and then again, you had, in, it's not just politicians, even in conservative media and, and the cultural side of the conservative movement, you have things like Ben Shapiro uh, going off and saying that Candace Owens' comments were inexcusable because she said that she didn't think that Palestinian children being killed by airstrikes in Gaza was necessarily the best path forward. And this comes right on the heels of another Ben Shapiro statement, I think the week prior to this, where he said that if you supported a ceasefire, uh, then you were a terrorist sympathizer. You know, uh, I was and, wondering when that was going to hit social media or when Ben Shapiro was going to say something because Candace Owens does work for him on the Daily Wire. And he's a, a big... 
would you say Zionist? I mean, some people would. I think he would. You know, whatever, wherever he's categorized in that, you could definitely say that uh, the current politicians in power took his message to heart. You know, you kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the intro of this episode, where you have Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader in the House of Representatives, a Democrat. You have Mike Johnson, the majority leader in the House of Representatives, a Republican. And you have Chuck Schumer, who is the majority leader in the Senate, a Democrat, all holding hands. And there's no, they look like they're best friends up there. And it kind of reminded me of that old picture of you had, you had Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and George Bush all together at a baseball game. And you kind of realize, it's going back to the George Carlin statement, it's a big club and you ain't in it, right? These people are friends, right? And, and part of it's natural because, you know, you work with these people all the time. If you're in the same building, if you're working on the same issues year in and year out, then obviously you're going to have, you know, more kind relationships, I guess, than what your supporters would want you to have. But this is far, this goes far beyond that. This is really about them being on the same side. They have the same positions on all of these issues across international politics and how they should spend your money in Ukraine and Israel and all of that. But whenever it comes to actually helping the American people, they're really not interested in working yeah. together on that at all. And don't ever listen, take it when they say, oh, well, you know, it's just because the Democrats won't let us pass it because anything is a bipartisan issue. It's just whether or not they want to make it one. Exactly. And so, so that was kind of what the goal of this episode was as we were, as we were scripting it out, was to kind of go over these different issues and kind of tie in all these different threads of, of the conservative movement and Republicans and how they just make themselves ineffective. And then something interesting happened. The new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who got the job because Speaker McCarthy tried to work with Democrats to pass a continuing resolution so that they wouldn't have to vote on specific appropriations bills passed a continuing resolution that pushes the government's deadline or closing deadline till after the holidays by counting on Democrat support. The Yahoo, News, Yahoo News reports, and it was just, just to give you a kind of a, a picture of what happened, quote, more Democrats than Republicans voted in the U.S. House of Representatives for a temporary stopgap spending bill to avert a government shutdown. Some 209 Democrats voted for the bill, while 127 Republicans voted for a laddered continuing resolution that would keep parts of the federal government funded until the 19th of January 2024 and other parts until the 2nd of February 2024. The vote is a win for a newly elected Speaker, Mike Johnson, who proposed the two-tiered approach as a means to avoid passing an omnibus spending bill, but rather to pass 12 individual spending bills a demand from right-wing members of the House Republican Conference. Now, this doesn't sound too bad until you really understand the context of it. It sounds all fine and dandy until you start looking a little bit closer and who's actually commenting on this. So Representative Pramila Japal from Washington, she's a Democrat. The, she's actually also the chairwoman of the Congressional Progressive Caucus told the independent that she appreciated the fact that this bill did not include any spending cuts. Don't worry, we may con be continuing resolutions, but you're still going to be paying for everything they've already decided they need paid for, which is a very long list and we can't be privy to all of those lists, but don't worry, your money's being spent. 
by everyone. All right, so Chip Roy of Texas was heated about this continuing resolution being passed by a suspension of the rules under Mike Johnson's leadership. He stated that, quote, I didn't come here to have the Speaker of the House assume the position and in 17 days pass a continuing resolution off of the floor of this House through suspension of the rules, end quote. Steve Bannon said that he was skeptical that Republicans would change pace in 75 days after the holidays when they are scheduled to take up this issue again and says he is on the clock right now. It just goes to, it, it's a huge knock to momentum, if nothing else, is, is kind of how you have to look at it, right? You had, you went through the whole process of, you ousted uh, Speaker McCarthy, you go through the whole process of trying to find a replacement. I mean, you remember all of the different names that were brought up to replace him. Uh, there was a huge fight. You know, people thought that Jim Jordan was going to get it. There's, you know, they spent what I think it was two weeks basically in limbo without a Speaker of the House. Everybody was freaking out. The government's going to shut down. All of this, and then you finally reach a point where we got a new Speaker. People started to basically immediately come up with old videos, old statements, uh, and and his record that basically pointed and alluded to this kind of being the end goal of, well. Maybe Mike Johnson is just going to be more of the same. Maybe Mike Johnson is actually McCarthy 2.0. And then what do you get? You get the exact same thing that got McCarthy fired. Mike Johnson has now done. And I'll be honest, I was one of those people that were digging up a lot of this mess because I wanted to see. I can be a very pessimistic person. So when I see a bunch of people saying, oh my gosh, we've won. I always say, listen, we're never winning (laughs) So let's look into this a little deeper. The most unrealistic thing you can be as a Republican is optimistic. Yeah. Okay? Because give me a time when you thought you won and then it ended up being a loss. Basically every time that you thought you had won. And there's a a great meme out there, and I'll try and find it to put it up on the screen for you. But it basically just is all of the different committees that have been headed by Republicans to investigate Democrat scandals. Right, whether it was Benghazi with Trey Gowdy or Fast and Furious or whatever, you just have all of these wins that the Republicans basically count their chickens before the eggs hatch, and then nothing ever comes of it. And that is how they get donors. You wonder how they do it? This is one of the ways they do it. So are you going to be sucked into it? But okay. It's it's a party of controlled opposition, essentially, is basically what what it reads as. Yeah. Well, and again, I, going... I would just say, you know, Kevin McCarthy, as we were talking the other night when we were um, trying to decide exactly what the show is going to be on. And listen, if y'all would like to see a breakdown of the Republican Party, definitely let us know in the comments. I'm always here for that as well. But it really seems as if Kevin McCarthy really just looked into the mirror, said mirror, mirror on the wall. And Kevin, Mike Johnson really just appeared out of thin air. People had hopes, and I think people are already starting to be dissuaded of those hopes. Because if I remember right, Steve Bannon was cautiously optimistic, I will say, about Mike Johnson's potential speakership and and what could come out of it. And then now, 17 days later, you have him saying that he's on the clock, that you know he's basically behind the eight ball already. And in that clip, he said he's skeptical that they're actually going to do anything here. Mm-hmm. And so of those, again, this is a bill that passed with mostly Democrat support. You had 93 Republicans that voted against this continuing resolution. And if you look at 
who those 93 are, they are the conservative side of the Republican Party. Basically, all of the people who were instrumental in ousting McCarthy and who were so upset with McCarthy in the first place for trying to pass a continuing resolution with Democrats, bypassing his own party, that they removed him from the speakership. I mean, you see that. This could be problems down the road for Mike Johnson as far as within his own house. Again, people like Andy Biggs, uh, Dan Bishop, Lauren Boebert, you know, the big names, Byron Donalds, who was also in the in the conversation to replace uh, Speaker McCarthy as ones, Speaker of the House. Oh, yeah, and then you have all the ones in South Carolina that voted, everyone basically but Jim Clyburn. You've got Jeff Duncan, Russell Fry, Ralph Norman, who Ralph Norman was a Kevin McCarthy supporter. If we were well, again, I think that's kind of the interesting thing here is that, you know, you had eight people that really were working to oust McCarthy, and you have 93 people that voted against this. So, yes, this includes all of the, quote-unquote, far-right wing of the party, but this also includes a lot of the middle-of-the-road Republicans, which you see here uh, kind of represented in this list. Uh, and, I, you know, it, it is interesting because if you already have 93 Republicans that are kind of breaking from the chain of leadership, mm -hmm. this is not going to be, in my opinion— it kind of spells trouble down the road for Mike Johnson's ability to basically control his own party. And again, kind of going back to what I said a couple of weeks ago about Nancy Pelosi and what made her so effective as Speaker of the House is that she did not allow any deviation from the party line at all. You were basically forced as a Democrat in Congress to vote the way that Nancy Pelosi wanted you to. And that made her very, very effective as a Speaker of the House. And going... Again, the theme of this whole episode is that Republicans make themselves ineffective. And this is yet just another example of you have a party that is divided basically down the middle, 90-some-odd versus 120-some-odd, on whether or not they want to pass a continuing resolution. So we will see what happens from here. Don't have my hopes up too high, but you know what? Grab the popcorn. It's getting interesting. So in the past debate... You know, it wasn't nor a normal debate, I wouldn't say. It's the normal puppets up on their little stands saying, you know, what they're told to say or what they're able to say. But there's some things that happened afterwards that was very interesting. And I would almost break it down into an A plus B equals C. The RNC chair versus Vivek Ramaswamy equals Drew Nikizik. Let's talk about that real quick. Vivek made waves in the last debate and seemed to have won the popular opinion based off of his performance of calling the RNC chair Ronna McDaniel's resignation, the main, uh, calling out the mainstream media, and pretty much calling out all of the wars he said that America should not be involved in. Pretty easy stuff to get behind, and honestly, I would say the bare minimum at this point. However... Following the debate a few days later, Vivek took to Twitter this past Saturday. And I'm going to read to you the tweet that he put out. It is a little long, but it has sent waves not only through South Carolina, but the nation as a whole. And I find it very interesting. So what he said was, quote, many RNC members complain of Ronna Romney McDaniel's leadership or lack thereof, but they concede that there is not a successor. It's time to stop the culture of surrender and losing. Appoint RNC co-chair and South Carolina GOP chairman Drew McKissick as the interim RNC chairman until a fair election is held at the RNC 2024 winter meeting from January 30th to February 3rd, 2024. 
Instead of taking accountability for back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back losing sprees, Ronna Romney McDaniel threw a tantrum at the third debate, reportedly saying she wouldn't give one cent of RNC funding to me or my campaign, only highlighting her corruption. Well, it's not her money, but she sure thinks it is. Ronna Romney McDaniel's salary has more than tripled since she took over as chairwoman, despite the fact she lost in 2018, 2020, 2022, and 2023. Only in the broken industry of politics do you get to keep your job and get paid more for doing an atrocious job. This is an embarrassment to Republicans across the country. Then he goes on to say in a second tweet, quote, The long-term successor should be elected at the January meeting, but Drew can serve as interim chair in the meantime because Rona is a problem and should get out of the way now. This election must be free of rigging and dirty tricks that plague the January 2023 leadership race between a Ron, 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 golly, Ronna Romney McDaniel and Harmeet Dillon. We cannot be a party of winners if we are led by losers, end quote. That's a lot to unpack there, but I have a few comments, especially since he called out Drew McKissick to be the interim chair for a fair and free election that must be had for the RNC. He called for Drew to replace Ronna McDaniel and how then there will be this free and fair election. Vivek obviously hasn't looked at the races that McKissick runs in South Carolina because there's nothing free and there's nothing fair about them. Or maybe... And this is what I tend to lean towards. Vivek has and come to realize that you have to be a friend of Drew's if you want to have a free and fair election that results in you winning. There are a lot of people that I would say were Vivek supporters, but they're not so much anymore after seeing him link arms with the king of the establishment for the GOP in South Carolina doesn't look that great not doing well for him i'm here but we'll see what happens again the whole point of this episode is that the republican party is ineffective whenever you think you made a change you didn't make a change and that basically everybody is playing on the same team Mm -hmm. right so either a drew mckissick uh is obviously just going to be a replacement of romney mcdaniel right obviously not going to call her that all the time pretty funny uh, nickname though, I gotta give. Yeah, him credit he killed there. me though reading that thing because it was every time. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Seuss out here, um, and so there's going to be no change. You know, if if they do have a replacement, if they do get rid of Ronald McDaniel and they do put in Drew McKissick, there is going to be no change. So the only question then becomes: Is Vivek naive enough to believe that it would result in a change, or is he know that it won't make a change, but because? The Republican Party is basically a revolving door of politicians in order to convince their supporters that the next guy is going to be the one to represent them. Is he just basically pushing that revolving door forward to enter into the building? I think it's much more likely that it's the, that it's yeah. the second. And again, I have a hard time taking any of this conversation seriously just because Vivek has no right. chance of winning. It doesn't matter if he gets how much money he gets from the RNC. Zero or a hundred million. It doesn't matter because he's not going to win. And so I just have a hard time taking him or any of these people seriously because Rana's a loser. Vivek is going to lose. Drew McKissick loses. 
These people are not good at their job. They are not good at winning elections. They're not good at running elections. They're not really good at running campaigns. It's just a hard thing for me to take seriously. It's very funny. I think that what Vivek has done on stage has been extremely comedic, and it's the only thing really worth watching a debate for. No, I take that back. Watching Nikki Haley embarrass herself is the best and reason then to watch watching, the debate. The second and then best Vivek is Vivek. Give fist bumps to Tim Scott and laughing while Nikki Haley is getting her everything in a wad. Mm, I'm upset. <laughs> Don't talk about my daughter. Okay, Nikki. The Hillary Clinton of the Republican Party. Oh, Nikki yeah. You, okay. And, and DeSantis, um, his everybody. ad that came out uh, putting side by side about what she said about did you see that come out today? Oh, I have you not. got to watch it. She, he, she pretty much, DeSantis put together the videos of Nikki Haley saying how Hillary Clinton was her role model for pretty much running in politics. Oh, I did see this. Yes. Yes. And Nikki Haley wants everybody to have to name themselves, like verify with the state whenever they get on social media. And that the reason that Vivek attacked her is because he has a problem with women and has nothing to do with that she's a terrible candidate that is constantly flip-flopping in issues, has never accomplished anything, and stands for nothing. Couldn't oh. be that. It's obviously because and she's a And don't forget, she says that she wants to know from the CEOs in America or CEOs that have companies in America how many workers they need imported so they can actually have the people they want. You know, just a little human trafficking in the U.S., nothing new, nothing different. Yes, because if, as you know, the job market right now is just saturated with, with unfilled jobs. The economy is booming, and no Americans are having any issues at all with uh, feeding inflation their families. has never been so lower. So we should definitely import more cheap labor. That's definitely the solution. Honestly, Nikki Haley's campaign is is now rivaling. I wouldn't say I wouldn't have said this two weeks ago, but in the last two weeks, she is now rivaling the Clinton 2016 campaign in the worst campaign in American political history. I'm just gonna say that. And she needs to drop out before she is now so radioactive that McDonald's would not hire her. Okay, it is. Well, bad. I'm sure if she just started walking within a 50 mile radius. Those heels of ammunition would go off. I still don't know what that means. I still have no idea what that means. But for some reason, I've got a feeling that the intern that tweeted it didn't know either. Yeah. So, Well, thank you for joining us today on the Magnifying Glass podcast. We delve deep, bringing the overlooked into focus and magnifying the stories that matter to you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and share, helping us shine a light on even more discoveries. I'm your host, Alina Moore, and remember, sometimes the smallest details make the biggest difference. Until next time, keep looking closer.